So I was a, um, I was a junior at, at Bible college. I had taken a little um, hiatus from college to, do a, um, to serve in the Marine Corps. And when I was coming back, I was coming back as a junior. And um, because I had been out of school for enough time, they made me repeat Welcome Week. So I, I had to repeat Welcome Week. It was like, why? It, the, there was like a thousand kids at the school. There was three buildings. It took four minutes to figure out where everything was. But they're like, no, you've got to... Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, yes, I'll do it. Um, I, it seems silly to me that I had to repeat Welcome Week, and yet God had a plan. Because... Uh, one of those days of Welcome Week, I laid my eyes on this cute little short brunette named Jenny. Buddy. So I, you know, I did what every, you know, I started to put up, I started to hatch a, a plan. Uh, what I figured I would do is I figured I would leak the fact that I was very interested in her to lots of people surrounding her. So that word would get to her, but just not by me, you know. <clears throat> and, you know, th- what my hope was is over time those seeds would grow up around her, and then there would be a time that was ripe, and I would reach out and I would reap a harvest from all these seeds that I had planted in the form of, I mean, a lovely romantic evening with this girl, you know, Um, except men, you know women, you think you got a thing figured out, and then they start doing other things. So I'm in my dorm room one day, and that phone rings, I pick up the phone. Um, and I don't recognize the voice. Seth, this is, this, is, this is Jenny. Okay, now, in my mind, what I'm doing is I'm thinking about who are the Jennies that I know? It was a popular name. I knew three or four other Jennies that would have called me on the phone. And so in my mind, I'm trying to figure out which of the Jennies that I know would call me on the phone is on the phone right now. And for about five minutes, I'm trying to figure out wait a second, it's not Jenny from work, it's not Jenny from the coffee shop, it's not, I'm going down the list. Meanwhile, she's mortified. She made a classic mistake. She thought that man brain and woman brain are the same brain, and they're not. So I'm in the category of which Jennies would call me on the phone. Took me about four minutes to realize, I'm in the wrong box. If I get out of this box into another one, and it took me a minute, and um, once I figured out who it was, I said, hey, why don't, would you, you want to go on a date with me? Do the kids still say that? I don't I want to this. I said, you want to go on a date with me? Said, yeah. When? I said, what are you doing right now? Men, we, men, we take initiative, yes? Right now, what are you doing right now? <laughs> she said, nothing. I said, okay, let's go on a date. I said, what are you wearing? I said, how about we wear the same thing? Khaki pants, I think a red shirt. I don't remember what it was. I don't remember the outfit. Let's wear the same thing. And for, I mean, for the next week, I never showered more in my life, brushed my teeth more in my life, used more mouthwash. I mean, um, but I mean, we hung it every day and every day, you know. Why? Um, why in that moment when we were going on a date and we were, you know, in the initial phases? Why did I spend so much time in the first two weeks making sure that everything about my presentation was packaged almost perfectly to cover up all of the imperfections? What I, what we tried it, right? Anybody, anybody dating right now? Hopefully no one's on a first date this morning. I just outed you. Why? You know, why do we do that? I mean, it's profound. 
There, boy, there is something about who we are naturally that we feel like if somebody else really knew what was going on, if they really knew me, maybe they wouldn't like me. And so what can I do to try to, you know, eventually we all know those things are going to have to come out, but if we can hold them as long as possible, <laughs> um, why? You know, why do we do that? Why are human beings like that? Because in a dating situation, what do you want the other person to proclaim about you through their actions and through their decisions? You want them to proclaim that you're acceptable to them. Yeah, I, yes, you, I want you, I will accept you. And we will go through a lot, we will go through a lot for somebody who we think of as beautiful, honorable, to look at us and say, you, you got the right stuff. Where did that come from, you know? Many people think that the Bible is kind of an, a, a book for old-fashioned people and the stories that it has in it are, you know, archaic and not real helpful. If we really want to get to the root of the problem, what we need is Freud, you know? What we need is a psychologist who's going to help us really understand our situation. And the Bible, story by story, chapter by chapter, it keeps putting its finger on the profound and deep desires that we have, the problems that we have, the longings that we have, because the people that the Bible tells us about, the very first ones, are not that different from us. They lived a long time ago, but they were made of the same composite parts. Their brains thought like us, their emotional lives were like us, their spiritual longings and desires at the deepest level. They wore different clothes, they spoke a different language, they had different hairstyles. They, they lived hundreds of years longer than we do. That makes it hard for us to relate to them. At the end of the day, at the deepest level, they were just like us. It's why these Bible stories, these initial ones, are. it doesn't take many verses for us to go, ugh, that's me. Today we're going to read the story of one of the... A brother went to his brother... Hey, let's go out in the field, out where nobody can hear us. It'll just be the two of us. And he killed him. And we know that he was crying out while he was being killed because God tells him, I heard your, your brother's blood's crying out from the ground now. Why? Why would he do that? Why would one brother do that to another brother? And how could he keep doing it while his brother was crying out? What was operating in his mind and heart that would drive him to do something like that? Something so poisonous. And probably everyone in here has tasted the poison at least a little bit. It was envy. His, his brother at a deep level had something that he did not have but he could not stand the fact that he didn't have it. And so what we're going to do right now is we're going to turn our attention to God's word and ask, ask the Lord, Lord, show me, what does this have to do with me? So I'm going to ask you to take out your copy of God's word. We're in Genesis chapter 4. And I'm going to ask that you stand to your feet to honor the reading of God's word. And I'm hoping even though it's nice and warm and cozy in here, there's no sleeping, okay? Because I know you're not going to be sleeping this afternoon. I know that. <laughs> Okay, 
Okay, Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew his wife Eve. We're going to come back to that word. And she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. You ever notice none of your friends have a son named Cain? There's a reason. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. We're going to talk about where he brought that offering and how that worked. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So, Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to his brother Abel, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? Now we know that it wasn't that the Lord didn't know. He wanted him to say it. He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. All right, we're going to stop there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that in the moments we have right now to listen to your word, I pray that by the power of the Spirit, open up our understanding so that with faith, we can grasp hold of the meaning here in these verses. And that means we can take them for our own to learn from them. Lord, we do not want to be like Cain. So we need to know what he was like, what happened to him, so that we know where to stay away from. And Lord, we want to be like Abel. So God, help me to explain the difference between the two. Abel's in heaven. And that's where we want to be. Show us that path of righteousness in Christ's name, I pray. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Okay, now we, we mentioned in the announcements, uh, Dallas and, and Chris did. One of, the, one of the real strong points of going through a series like this through the book of Genesis is because God created everything 
and he's the one who designed everything. He's the one who knows the meaning of everything. He knows how everything is made to work together. The book of Genesis tells us about the world that we live in. Because when God makes something and then he tells us about how it works and he gives it a name, what he's doing is he's instructing us. Now, we live in a society where the Bible, God is not the only one who is offering instruction to us. Many other people are trying to teach us about the world that we live in. They're trying to name things. Um, but their, their names don't stick because they're not God. They can try to pretend to be God, but only God can create things and only God can name things. That's, that's how that is. So in the opening chapters of the Bible, it's so important. One of the things I talked about in the introduction to this series is Genesis is the beginning of the Bible, like chapter one is chapter one of a book. That's true. It's the beginning chronologically. But it's also the beginning of the Bible, the way a foundation is the beginning of a house. It's not only first. Everything else builds on top of and stands on top of it. If you miss the meanings in Genesis, or you get them wrong in Genesis, you, you get off 10 degrees and you trace yourself all the way to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you have an opportunity to be way off. Um, <clears throat> so it's important that, you know, when we, when we look at these um, events and we look at the people that we're told about here, one of the things that's required when we read the Bible is faith. Can't tell you how many faithless commentaries I've read on the book of Genesis where the people who have theological doctorates from respectable institutions will look at the Bible and say, well, you know, that, that's clearly a mistake or that's wrong. What that is, is that's not reading the Bible with faith. Faith says that the Bible is God's book. He wrote the book. What the Bible says, God says. And what God says is true. And when God tells us the truth... We believe it. In verse 1, Adam knew his wife, Eve. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife. Now, that's the Bible's way of talking about sexual intimacy. Adam knew his wife, Eve. And so it is the Bible's teaching that sexual intimacy is not simply a physical urge. All the, all the people who tell us that the way that we got here is by evolutionary processes will tell us that sexual intimacy is an urge and people can't control it. Whatever they have an urge for, they must give into. And the Bible says, no, 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 no. Sexual intimacy is certainly physical. But the physical intimacy is the pathway for you to know, to give yourself and to receive the other person. There's a moral restraint for when it, when it is appropriate and when it's not appropriate. Christianity does not teach that these natural sexual urges that people have are uncontrollable by us. The Bible says, no, you know when the right situation and you know when the wrong one is. It's your responsibility to exercise mastery over that. And when it comes time for sexual intimacy, only within the context of what the Bible calls a marriage, in that, in that instance... Sex brings you closer to the other person to know more about them, not less about them. So when the Bible says Adam knew Eve, his wife, that's not an archaic, ignorant, old way of saying it. It's a better way of saying it than we moderns have. And she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. This is, this is another straight-out fact of the Bible. 
Every, every woman's womb who has ever conceived a child, there is, certainly there were means involved. She had to do something. He had to do something. There's birds and there's bees. Everybody understands. Yes? But why did a life come that time? And Eve says it. The Lord. The Bible over and over again affirms that life belongs to God. When he blesses a womb with the gift of life, that life has come from him. And it's why the, you know, the horror of the abortion industry that we currently have where the, the mantra is that abortion is health care. With the help of the Lord, she conceived a son. But just because it's from the Lord doesn't mean he's a gift. Again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. Two sons, two different jobs. Now we know from the Bible, we know from the earlier chapter that God made a promise to Eve. If you were here with us and we were covering the chapter, after, after Eve ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that she was not supposed to yet, and then Adam did too, God proclaimed some curses There was going to be consequences for the man and for the woman and for the serpent. But there was also a promise at the very end of it. And what he told Eve, he said, your your seed, that's that's what God said, your seed is going to crush the head of the serpent. Your seed and his seed are going to be at odds with each other. Yours is going to win. So right in the beginning chapters, God is describing children that will come from Eve as seeds. And then Adam says to Eve, he, he gives her the name Eve and says, you're the mother of all living. So every human being who's ever been born has come from the womb of a woman. And the Bible would say that every one of those children are seeds. And those seeds grow up through their life. And as they grow up, we find out what kind of seed they are. Are they the seed of the woman? Or are they the seed of the serpent? And this is one of the great difficulties of what the Bible says about what it means to be a mother. Some mothers will mother Cain's. Judas had a mom. Was that a blessing? Was he a gift to her? How many Absaloms does a mom need or want? This is a very hard thing about the, the world that we live in. As, as moms... You, have, you give birth to seeds. And some of them grow up to be Abel's and some of them grow up to be Cain's. Some lucky moms get to have Seth's. He's, he's at the end of this chapter. <laughs> okay, let me just pause. So, um, see, the symbol world of the Bible all holds together. And it's one of the reasons why we have to pay attention to the words. Did you see when God said that your seed will crush his seed, that theme of seeds will go through the whole Bible. Jesus will tell his disciples, there's all of human history, all the whole population is a harvest growing up. And there are two kinds of seeds in this field. Some of them are wheat and some of them are thorns, are weeds. And at the very end, when harvest time comes, the whole 
every human seed that has ever been planted is going to, is going to be judged. And see, this is one of the reasons why when, the, when the God says your seed, we can't think about that as arch, old archaic terms. God is setting up a whole introductory symbol world that is going to keep moving on. So now we got two brothers and they're two seeds and we know the story. We know which seed is the seed of the serpent and we know which seed is the seed of the woman. Cain and Abel. Abel was a keeper of the sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Now that phrase, course of time, means at the end of, literally translated as at the end of days. And the Bible tells us that God called light time day and he called dark time night. So what this means is at the end of light time, At the end of light days, which is the end of summer, summer are the the lightest days. At the end of summer, Cain, who is a farmer, brought some of his produce. So his harvest has come in, and he's going to bring some of his harvest to God. He's going to bring some of his harvest to God. And since he's a seed, what he brings is also a harvest of himself. He brings an offering, Abel brings an offering. And the Bible says that God has a response to both of these offerings. Look at verse 5. If you you have your Bible, let's look at verse 5. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. You see, when, when God looked at the offering, he was not just looking at the offering that was being brought. He was looking at the offering and the person who was bringing it because in this offering, there was some of Cain in the offering. What about the offering that Cain brought when God looked at it? He said, I don't want that. And how did they know? You know, so Cain and Abel are both bringing an offering Oh, I stepped out of the light. Sorry. Cain and Abel both brought an offering. Both brothers walked away that day. Abel walked home whistling. <laughs> Feels so good that the Lord regarded me and my offering. I can go home and me and the Lord are good. Whistling, that wasn't there. That, sorry, that wasn't there. And Cain, Cain left mad. Why? Now, Genesis gives us a very clear picture of it. In the very opening chapters, in the land of Eden, God planted a garden in the east part of the, of the garden and in the eastern mountain part of the garden. So there was a mountain sanctuary that the Bible tells us that God made that his sanctuary, home, palace, garden. It was where his own presence was. That's where he brought Adam, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, because of their rebellion, were kicked out of this garden. And at the doorway into this garden, God placed two angels, cherubim angels, which are his throne guardians, um, his secret service. You, You try to get close to the holiness of God if you're not authorized, and you will get taken down. Now, I know that that sounds a little bit harsh. I, you know, I can't protect you from the truth of the Bible. Over and over again in the Bible, if you go into God's holy presence in an unauthorized manner, those two cherubim know how to take care of that problem. And they do many times in the Bible. 
So at the entrance to this, to God's garden sanctuary, there's these two cherubim guardian angels, and Genesis tells us there's a flaming sword that is going to and fro. Now we know what this is because uh, this same phrase about the flaming sword going back and forth or to and fro is used two other times in Deuteronomy and Ezekiel and both times it helps us understand that that movement of it moving around is flashes of lightning. Um, So there's two secret service agents, cherubim angels, and there's also an electric fence. You don't, don't go in. You can't go in. But Cain and Abel had to come close. Do you notice they, they, went, they went to the door of the garden and that's where they brought their offerings because even though they couldn't go in to his, his direct presence, they had to come close to his presence. And coming close to his presence, they, they put their offerings down at the, at the gate of the garden sanctuary. And all through the rest of the Bible, when God wants to communicate that he has accepted an offering, fire comes out and consumes the offering as a visual symbol to the two people who are making it. I, t- I liked this one. This one tasted good to me. That one, I don't want any part of it. Why? Why is it that Abel bringing in an animal sacrifice, that that pleased God? Not only did the offering please God, but the person bringing it pleased God. Now we know from the previous story with Adam and Eve, we basically repeated the same situation. Adam and Eve disobeyed God. God told them, on the day that you disobey me, on the day that you eat of it, you're going to die. And then after they had died, then Eve and Adam sewed fig leaves together to try to cover themselves. But fig leaves can't cover over that problem. And the reason why is we find out in in the early chapters of Genesis, when the Bible describes the difference between plant life and animal life, the Bible does not describe plants as living. When the Bible talks about plants, it says that plants spring up out of the earth but it does not describe them as life. The only things that get described as living or life are the animals that have the breath of life in them. So when Adam and Eve sin and they attempt to take plant life in order to cover themselves, if, sorry, plants that aren't alive can't cover over sins that lead to death. The only thing that can cover over the sin of death is another life. So God does not weave fig plants together. God takes an animal and he kills the animal and he covers them with the skin because the only thing that can cover over death is the life of another. This is the symbol that God is painting for Adam and Eve right there in the garden. I sinned, sin leads to death, The only way I can be made alive again is through the death of another animal. So when Cain comes to God with the plants, is there any life in the plants? The plants didn't really die in order for there to be a sacrifice there. What's Cain communicating when he brings this offering? Things are good between me and God. I'm fine. Here's a little thank offering for you, God. Abel comes with an animal offering because the animal offering had to spill blood because life is in the blood and the animal's life was a replacement for his life. 
God looks at Abel. Abel's coming to him, and Hebrews tells us, Abel comes to God in faith. Cain comes to God without faith. Cain comes to God assuming, I'm already clean. Here, take this. And when God does not accept his offering, think of all the different emotional responses that Cain could have had. My offering's not accepted. My brother, look at he went away. He could have been hanging his head in repentance. God, I'm sorry. I did this the wrong way. He could have hung his head in shame even. I don't know what to do. Tell me what to do. But his response is he hangs his head in anger. Can't you see what's happening? Oh God, you're too good for my sacrifice, are you? And now that he, is, he walks away not accepted by God, what happens to a person internally when they are not accepted by God? And what we might be tempted to say in our modern day and age is, no, 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 no. What we tell everybody is everybody is accepted by God. When people are having emotional, psychological trouble because they are not coming to God in the only way that he requires, people will feel emotional, psychological pain. This is what happened to Cain. God said, what's going to happen to you is because of the murder of your brother, you're never going to have a home. Everywhere you go, the ground underneath your feet is going to keep you from feeling like, this is my place right here. I have a place here. Anybody know anybody like that? No matter where they are, they're always like, I don't, I don't feel like I should be here. I don't feel home. There's no place I could go to, to be established. Live their whole life wandering. And because that is so painfully uncomfortable, one of the things that happens to Cain and happens to people in our day is when we see when a person like that who will not come to God the way that he tells them to come to God and is psychologically, emotionally uncomfortable and uneasy in any situation that they're in, to see another person who is accepted by God and has peace with God and is at home and is being established and is growing prosperous in their life and in their spiritual life, how does the uneasy, homeless, Cain-like person feel about Abel's blessings and peace with God? How does he feel about that? He hates it. Every time he sees it, it reminds him that he has something that he does not have. And yet God says it right here. Abel, you can have it. Come to me in the right way. But he won't do it. And Jesus talks about Abel. You know, one of the reasons to believe that the story, all these stories in Genesis are true is because Jesus constantly refers back to these people as if they were real people, not mythical characters. In fact, if you have your Bible, why don't you turn over there with me? Uh, we're going to look at the book of Luke while I get ready to wrap up here. In Luke 11, Jesus is going off. Um, I mean, Jesus is, is dealing with the Pharisees head on, and he's telling them there's no life in their way of life. 
and that they're living under and will be living under forever God's curse. When he says, woe to you, your way is wrong, is what he's saying. And after a few verses of this, woeing the Pharisees and talking to them about being unmarked graves and how wicked and full of greed, when he talks to them about their constant desire to wash the outside of the cup and leave the inside of the cup filthy, I mean, he just goes off. One, in verse 45, one of the lawyers answers Jesus. <laughs> Teachers, in saying these things, you insult us also. Look what Jesus says next. Does he say, oh, I apologize. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. And he said, woe to you lawyers too. You load people with burdens hard to bear. You yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you. You build tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses and you consent to the deeds of your fathers for they killed them and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation from the blood of Abel. Jesus is telling us that Abel was a prophet. And that Abel's blood was spilled for the exact same reason that the Pharisees killed the prophets. The Pharisees consistently tried to come to God in their own way, in their own righteousness. God, I'm already, I'm already clean. Here's a little something for you. Some Pharisees would be involved in killing Jesus. His blood was poured out. You know, in the temple barracks where they whipped him, there was blood on the ground. And you know, on that road, on that road out to the hill of the skull, all along that road, he bled all along that road. And upon the cross there was blood, and down his head there was blood. Out of his hands and out of his feet, there was blood. Out of his side, there was blood. Why? Because from the very beginning of the Bible, we're told over and over again that the only thing that can turn spiritual death in the opposite direction is life from outside of you. Jesus on on that night, remember in the garden? Which is actually where the bleeding started, remember that? He was praying and he was under such, he sweat blood. in, In the garden, the one who didn't have any sin, no sin to be atoned for. Every single person who had died before Jesus and died in faith, like Abel and Abraham and Moses and Sarah and Isaac and Abraham and Jacob, and I can go on and on. Every single one of those, Hebrews 11 tells us, they were counting on something. 
their spiritual account before God was in, was in the status of credit. Their salvation had been credited to them. But that credit, that credit was based on an actual payment. The animal that got killed to cover over Adam and Eve, that animal's blood wasn't powerful enough to cleanse them morally. No, it was not. And every lamb that ever got sacrificed at every temple for the hundreds of years, the, the lambs that got killed and the blood on the doorpost, and that, that wasn't, that blood wasn't powerful enough. That blood was pointing to another kind of a blood, and that blood was going to be powerful enough to clean the inside of a lot of cups. Cain looked at Abel. Cain looked at the fact that Abel had peace with God and his motivation was to take it away. And Jesus, who had peace with God, looked at all of us Cain's and said, my, my life for yours. My life for yours. And the message of Cain and Abel, I hope that really... Anybody here feeling homeless in life? And underneath the surface, there's an emotional, psychological discomfort that no matter where you go, you just can't seem to get your feet underneath you. No matter what room you're in, you don't feel like you belong there. And I want to ask you a question about that. Are you homeless and wandering in life because you have not come to God, your Father, in an acceptable way? Is that why? And the words that God said to Cain, you, if you come to me in the right way, you can have the peace that Abel has. Where are you? Have you come to God in the only way that any human being has ever come to God? And that is to the cost of the life of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And if you have, never go back to trying to relate to God like Cain. We don't come here and worship God. It's like, all right, Lord, here's all the awesome things that I've done for you this week. Here's a little gift for you, Lord. Here's, look at these things that I did for you. Aren't I something? No. Why do we get together and worship every time to remind ourselves? What is it that we're standing on? What's the only firm foundation of a rock that you and I can ever stand on? So that no matter what room we're in, we go, I, I can stand right here. I have an identity that cannot be shaken. And the reason I do is because Christ, his life for mine. I would you stand to your feet. Let me close in a prayer. Heavenly Father, I don't know who's here and I don't know who feels the same emotional, psychological climate that Cain felt. But Lord, I pray God, please move by your spirit so that they don't go the direction that Cain did in anger and envy and pointing their fingers in rage at you. But instead, you grant the gift of repentance so that they would humble themselves and they would pray and they would come to you and say, I'm sorry, I need life I don't have. And they would reach out in faith. There is only one kind of blood that can ever bring eternal life to sinners like us is the blood of your son and there's only one way we ever get our hands on that 
that's by faith and repentance. Lord, please give that. And Lord, I pray for all of us that, are, that we have been covered by that blood, but many times we, we think back to our old life of being uncomfortable everywhere. Lord, help us remember that whom the Son sets free, totally free. And I pray all this in Christ's name.